welcome to another special holiday bonus episode. Gather the family and enjoy this holiday story. The Real Christmas Spirit by Helen E. Richards In a prosperous Middle Western town on the east side, at the upper end of a long avenue of comfortable homes, the street veers suddenly to the right and ends in Cedar Hill, a blind but beautiful alley bordered with lawns decorated at this time of year with strange figures of gunny sacking wound with cord and with piles of straw overlaid with boards. Back of these suggestions of the landscape gardener stand four houses, wide-spreading, luxurious. Cedar Hill homes of the Davenports, the Clydes, the Lees, and the Luddingtons. On Christmas Eve, it was custom for Cordelia Davenport to give a recital, and the Clydes and the Lees and the Luddingtons came laden with their articles of commerce and hung them on the Davenport Christmas tree at the end of a long drawing room. The little group of families on Cedar Hill always celebrated royally because it was within the power of Cedar Hill residents to do so. And Cedar Hill leads the town, quoted James Davenport Jr. to his sister. James Jr. was taller than his father, and he carried himself with a regal air in spite of his extreme youth. He drew down the library shades and flung himself into an armchair. Sis, what do you say to going to Meredith's for programs? They have some gorgeous new leather things. I say white Morocco with a Davenport coat of arms in gold and blue. How does that strike you? And mistletoe instead of holly. Bortz is taking orders now, supplemented Sis. And I want Mother to try that new caterer on West 5th. They say he is so much better than... She stopped suddenly and looked up at James with a startled expression. Both listened intently. They heard the voice of their mother talking to James Sr. in the music room. It isn't right, James, with all the financial reverses you have suffered this year and all the calls there are for charity that we should spend so lavishly. I shall never forget how nearly we came to losing the old home itself. We ought not to have any recital at all. No recital, James Sr. gasped. What will the Luddingtons say? he cried. The Luddingtons can be thankful that they live in well-favored America and not in starving Germany. James Jr. slipped from his chair and caught his sister's arm. What is it? he whispered. What are they talking about? Hush. James Sr. was speaking again. We can manage the recital, I think, Cordelia, and have something to give besides, he said in a low, generous voice. Then we ought to give twice as much and go without the recital, insisted Mrs. Davenport. It would be positively wicked for us to have the usual orgy of presents and feasting while there is such great need. The Davenports have always led. Let us lead now in giving, in sacrifice. What will the children say, asked her husband suddenly. Never mind what they say, James. They need just this kind of experience. They are spendthrifts, both of them. Jim Jr. hasn't the first notion of the value of money. And as for Sis, we've encouraged her in... Oh, well, never mind. We always had more than enough until the stock company failed. Perhaps it hasn't been best not to let them know about our worries, she added thoughtfully. Sis gazed at her brother solemnly. Are we that bad, Jim? She questioned under her breath. He was silent. The fire in the grate crackled and snapped and leaped and fell. The voices in the music room had dropped to a lower key. 
What, about stock failing? James Jr. asked finally. I heard rumors at college, but I didn't suppose it was really so when Dad didn't mention anything. James Jr. slung himself forward, resting his chin in his hands. Sis watched him in silence. We'll let the Morocco programs go, eh, sis? He laughed shortly. Then he looked up. See here, how much money have you? Not more than five dollars, I guess. I spent the rest for... And I haven't a cent. She gazed at him tremulously. We can't have any Christmas, she faltered. James Jr. stood up. In the firelight, against the dark background of the library, he loomed like a young giant, his features standing out white, vivid, forceful, with all the Davenport pride and reserve. Quietly, he put his hands in his pockets and stared into the fire. We have always led, sis, as mother says, and our house has always been happy at Christmas time. We have to keep it up. But the money, Jim, if we... We can celebrate Christmas without money. What's family pride for? It isn't money pride, sis. It's the real article. We'll have our party just the same, and we'll do it on what money we can scare up between us. The time had been years before when the Cedar Hill families were poor, when the Davenport Christmas party had been very happy but very economical. But of late years, money and social rivalry had increased the expenditure and stunted the happiness. Cordelia Davenport had been the leader, and if sometimes she sighed for more sincerity and less show in their social affairs, still it had not occurred to her that the situation could be remedied. So used had she become to professional singers and high-priced caterers that to forgo these luxuries, even from a sense of duty, meant no Christmas festivity, and she sighed as she thought how they would miss the annual gathering. James Sr., too, much as he hated the stately social functions, began to realize a loss as the holidays approached. No Christmas this year, he said with a shrug, as he met Mr. Clyde at the corner and they turned toward Cedar Hill for dinner. That's all right, declared Clyde seriously. We're cutting out some things, too. Rather hard on the children. Silently, the two men strode up on the hill, and it did not occur to either of them that they could celebrate without an outlay. What can you do without money? asked Davenport gloomily. I know, nodded Clyde. It doesn't rain Christmas doings. You have to buy them. It was a few days before Christmas, and Cordelia Davenport was making her afternoon toilet before a tall mirror in the dressing room. Tall mirrors were rather a specialty with her, and if any one of her family wished to give her an expensive present, he knew, without asking, that she could find space somewhere for another mirror, or for a cut-glass candlestick. She was not sure which of these she liked best. James Jr. once said that his mother ought to live in a glass house. Today, as Mrs. Davenport dressed, she saw reflected in her mirror the figure of a woman crossing the street and aiming straight for her front door. It was a portly figure, increased to absurdity by a huge collarette and a muff the size of two Angora cats. Madame Luddington, exclaimed Cordelia. What can she possibly want? This question did not imply that Madame's calls were infrequent but merely that her movements were sometimes social maneuvers. The recent stricture in the Christmas expenditure of the Davenports altered the social opportunities. 
It is so lovely of you to have us just the same as ever, Madam greeted Mrs. Davenport sincerely and cordially. Just lovely. It's the true Christmas spirit. You don't know how we all appreciate it. Cordelia Davenport smiled vaguely. Was this sarcasm? She remembered uncomfortably the costly present she had received from Madam a year ago. Yes, she parried pleasantly. And the invitations are too delightful, so informal. I told Sis I hoped she would always come hereafter to deliver them. She is growing into a very charming young lady. Yes, Cordelia assented. I'm very proud of my girl. She is so trustworthy. What had Sis done? What had happened? But Sis was trustworthy. Mrs. Davenport said it over and over frantically to herself while she smiled at her guest. We are all so delighted with your idea of entertaining us simply. It is so different. Madam Ludington's good faith was evident, but Cordelia could scarcely appreciate it. She was too much alarmed. I think, she said with sudden inspiration, and she marveled at herself as she said it, that a Merry Christmas is not dependent on a bank account. The plump, shrewd face of her neighbor lighted suddenly. But we had forgotten that, she exclaimed. When James Sr. came home for dinner, he was unusually happy. His wife told him of Madame Ludington's visit. Trust the Davenports for upholding the family honor, he laughed easily. They've never failed yet, and they never will. James Jr. and Sis came into the office this afternoon and told me they were going to entertain the usual crowd on $5. What do you think of that? Sis said she would bake four dozen cookies after some recipe she learned at school. Cordelia stared. Four dozen cookies, she cried? They aren't expecting to feed Madame Ludington and the rest on cookies. James Sr. looked alarmed. This appalling deduction had not occurred to him. But relief at the attitude of his son and daughter had made him feel lighthearted. Well, perhaps that isn't enough, he returned quickly. Madam is a hearty eater, and they both laughed till they cried. It will be perfectly awful, she sobbed, to give those people cookies, but the children mean well. Then she dried her eyes and went to arrange her hair. But she stopped short in astonishment. James, she called. James, come here. Before them, where the long, broad mirror had hung, was a plain bare wall and near the center, in an inadequate attempt to fill the space, hung James Sr.'s shaving glass. Stuck to the wall with a pin was a bit of paper scrawled in the handwriting of Jim Jr. Merry Christmas, folks, it challenged. They were disarmed. There was nothing to do but laugh and wonder. The little paper as much as said, don't ask any questions. James Sr. was silent for a space. Cordelia, he said finally, we've grown away, far away from the old simple good times. Perhaps the children can bring us back. Let's not worry about their plans. We can trust them. Let's be game. Mrs. Davenport gazed at him contemplatively, a slight smile beginning to curl about the corners of her mouth. Why, she hesitated, why, perhaps you're right. That night, when James Sr. came downstairs to dinner, he tripped on an innocent-looking yellow bag which stood on the lower step. By an agile leap, he saved his life and landed on the rug while a little stream of lemons rolled across the polished floor. There, muttered Jim Jr. to Sis in the dining room, I forgot to take away that bag. A new faction had arisen at Cedar Hill, eager, inventive, at work for the preservation of a nearly lost holiday. All that Merry Christmas had met 
all that had failed to mean because of worldliness and social bickerings hovered fantastically before the residents of Cedar Hill. Secrecy met them at every turn. As the days passed on, the atmosphere became charged to its utmost with the current of mystery such as Merry Christmas had not brought for years. On Christmas Eve, there was a final rendezvous in the Davenport drawing room, a flurry, joyous bunch of 14 Cedar Hill young folks whom James and Sist had pressed into service for the occasion. They ranged in age from the youngest Ludington, a five-year-old wee manny in curls and kilts, to the Lee twins, just of age and decked in swallowtails and white shirt fronts. James Jr., who had passed his 20th birthday and overtopped the Lees by two inches, was master of ceremonies and led proceedings in his gravely dignified way. Next to him was Isabel Clyde, the tall blonde, beautiful in blue chiffon, and then Sis, black-crowned Sis, whose graceful ways and glorious blue-black hair were attractions that made one forget the color of her gown. Hastily, they stationed themselves in the front hall, the Lee twins, butler-wise at either side of the drawing room entrance, ready to pull the curtains, James Jr. and Sis waiting to receive, and the rest hustling to the place allotted to them to tune their various instruments. There was indeed an orchestra. It consisted of one piano, one violin, four ukuleles, and three combs, well-papered, well-tuned. What a travesty on the usual Davenport recital. Will the proud Cedar Hillites be game? Is the contrast too great? Is it indeed true that it does not rain Christmas festivities, that we must buy them? At this moment, Sis turned an appealing glance toward James Jr. Did he, too, feel the inadequacy of their attempt? But her brother's eyes were fixed toward the top of the carved oak staircase, where his mother and father were descending, evidently determined to be game, whatever the cost, and smilingly concealing any misgivings. As they reached the hall below, Cordelia glanced at the floor. The rugs were gone, and from the big front door stretched a strip of canvas, fastened carefully with thumbtacks. "'What's this for?' she asked in surprise, turning to her son. "'We don't know, Mother,' James Jr. told her with a grin. "'Mr. Lee asked us to put it down.' "'Mr. Lee?' At that instant sounded a lugubrious thud on the front porch, followed by shouts of laughter. The door burst open, and in rushed Mr. Lee, Mr. Ludington, Mr. Clyde, and all the other guests dragging a heavy weight across the mysterious canvas. "'Hello, Davenport!' got a place for this thing? Oh, oh, a Yule log, all decorated with holly. How perfectly lovely. Wait, I'll help. Pushing and laughing, the orchestra piled into the hall to see. It ought to have come at sundown, explained Clyde, but the invitation said eight o'clock, so he gave a final heave and the huge thing settled into place and a festive fire was lighted. Never had the Davenport Christmas entertainment started in so unceremonious a fashion. The company stood about talking excitedly, and not till the old Yule log was actually beginning to kindle did they go upstairs to remove their wraps. Cordelia turned to Sis and James Jr. It's going to be perfectly splendid, she said under her breath. Your father and I almost worried, but they are taking it beautifully. The music had begun. The violin wailed, the combs buzzed. Sis seized her mother's arm and pointed. Cordelia Davenport gasped. 
down the staircase came Mr. and Mrs. Lee arm in arm in solemnity unequaled, and behind them trooped the other guests, all arrayed in costumes the splendor of which no Davenport recital had ever witnessed. Mrs. Lee's gown was composed completely of ruffles from the Sunday comic section in pink and red and blue. Her husband was in black and white, as became a gentleman, with narrow spiral ruffles of the Daily Tribune and the Argus Herald encasing each leg and arm. Were they game? Could anything in all the great town with its wealth and pride, its poverty and greater pride, its struggle and sorrows, its jealousies and joys, equal the true Christmas spirit of haughty Grandmother Luddington in her rustling gown of fine print want ads? The youngest Luddington jumped before her and clapped his hands and cried, Oh, Gamma, Gamma, and jumped again and lost his balance on the waxed floor and had to be hugged and comforted. The orchestra trembled and squeaked and failed in laughter. The guests rustled and swished and laughed while the Lee twins, faithful to their office, drew back the heavy crimson portieres and revealed the Christmas drawing room. There were no festoons of ground pine, no holly wreaths, not even the ancient bunch of mistletoe, but a blaze of glory that dazzled and blinded. The walls were lined with plate glass mirrors, full length, expansive, reflecting and reflecting in bewildering infinity, multiplying in a thousandfold the candles burning in Cordelia Davenport's cut glass candlesticks. There was the big library mirror with its gilded frame, the mirrors from the dining room hall and guest rooms, and all the family looking glasses, everything that would reflect. And in the center of the room, upon a tiny table, stood a diminutive Davenport Christmas tree, its tiny candles glittering and winking at their million reproductions reflected on every side. There were 50 Christmas trees. There were hundreds, thousands, it seemed. There were 25 guests. There were 50. There were 100. And then the recital began with the opening chorus led by the Cedar Hill Junior 14, a quaint old Christmas carol they had learned at school. After the singing was over, Luddington turned to James Sr. This is great, he cried. Why didn't we ever do it before? What's this, sis? Going to give these to me? He went on comically. She had paused before him with a silver tray of tiny cards. Sis laughed. No, sir, you may have just one. We're going to set you all to work. The card will tell you what to do. Number four, number four. Where's number four? Called Archie Clyde, rushing frantically about. Oh, Isabel, are you seven? You and I are to beat the eggs. Number four, number four. James Sr. roused. What's this all about? Why, I'm number four. My card is marked four. Here, Archie, what do you want? The boy poised on one leg in front of him and read from his card. Help number four turn the freezers. When the gong sounds, lead the way to the kitchen, read Mrs. Lee, meditatively. Why, where is the kitchen? Madame Luddington was adjusting her eyeglasses. Here, somebody, she cried. Do read my card for me. She handed it to a curly-headed Luddington. Oh, Grandma, you are to cut the cake. Oh, isn't this fun? Wait, I'll tell you what it says. Please cut the cake, which you will find on the broad shelf in the serving room. There is a knife in the left-hand upper drawer of the kitchen cabinet. Oh, cried Madam, how can I ever do anything in these paper furbelows? A gong sounded above the din. Come on, everybody, called Mrs. Lee. We're going to the kitchen. 
The freezers are all packed. All you have to do is keep them rolling, explained James Sr. to Archie after an examination of the two rounded tubs which seemed screwed to the table. Where's the egg beater? Where's the... Doesn't it tell? Why, yes, on hanger above the sink. Here it is. Such laughter, such informality, never had been known. The newspapered guests flew back and forth. They folded paper napkins, they arranged plates of cookies, they beat eggs, and turned them stiff and foaming into the lemon sherbet. They carried chairs, they drew water and filled glasses. I'm to light the candles on the cake, sang Mrs. Clyde. But where are the matches? Here, here in this tin box. At last all was ready and the company returned to the Christmas drawing room to eat what they themselves had prepared and served. You see, we couldn't have a caterer, Sis explained. Ladies and gentlemen, the voice of James Jr. rose above the din, and they looked to where he stood, straight and tall, between the bay windows. Ladies and gentlemen, 25 years ago tonight, on Cedar Hill, in the Davenport Parlor, nine persons gathered to celebrate Christmas Eve. On that night, a compact was made in the light of the Christmas candles, to the effect that so long as they were neighbors in sickness or in health, in adversity as well as prosperity, they would, unless unavoidably be prevented, spend each ensuing Christmas night together. Those nine persons were Mr. and Mrs. Frank Clyde, Mr. and Mrs. Walter Lee, Mr. and Mrs. Eugene Luddington, Madam Luddington, and Mr. and Mrs. James Davenport. Wherefore we, the children and heirs of the aforesaid persons, have determined that so long as the power lies within us, we will, with sincerity and goodwill to all, aid and abet the aforesaid persons, and if at any time their courage fails, or money is otherwise diverted, we will, by reason of our inherited ability and traditional inventiveness, provide such entertainment as may be needed for the annual occasion. In token whereof, we present you with this birthday cake, holding 25 candles, each one of which represents a single Christmas celebration during the past quarter century. And, he added with a grin, as there are now 25 of us, including two guests, there is just one piece apiece with a candle for each. Cordelia Davenport's eyes glowed. She turned to her daughter. Oh, sis, she breathed, how did you know? Who told you? Madam Luddington. And oh, mother, she's been just the best help. She suggested the paper costumes, too. Do look at her. The old lady was shaking with laughter while she tried to repair a damaged paper flounce with pins. And then, at last, amid the clamor of tongues, there sounded distant sweet chords. Intrigued, the guests sought the source. In the music room, the youngest Luddington, the little Manny in curls and kilts, stood by the grand piano looking at Sis. All the lanterns and candles but one had been extinguished. There was a sudden hush. Sis played the opening chord of Martin Luther's beloved children's hymn. Then the child turned and began to sing. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. The stars in the bright sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. Across the room where the singer gazed as he sang was a nativity illuminated by three candles. 
As the last notes died away into the night, there followed absolute silence. Christ had returned to Cedar Hill Christmas. The End